0: Now that this week in global history is history, it's time to sit back, relax, and relive the week that was in global history class. Coming to you live from 235, Mr. Palumbo is ready to take you on a journey into the past to understand the present and change the future. Welcome to Enduring Issues. Hello all and welcome to uh, this edition of Enduring Issues for the first full week of February 2020. Uh, Now it's been a while since we've had a a new Enduring Issues podcast episode. We spent a lot of time with World War I, all the events um, after it and leading up to World War II, World War II itself. Um, we took a pause from the podcast there to do uh, some midterm review. And the, the number of listens that we had on those podcasts and all the first um, number of episodes of the Enduring Issues podcast in preparation for the midterms was fantastic. Uh, we've had over 150 fresh uh listens to those enduring issues podcast episodes from the time we started reviewing for the midterms in the second week of January all the way up through the midterm day so um in that time there was a little over a week We had over 150 enduring issues podcast episode um, listens. So you know that means that uh, you guys that do listen to it found it relatively effective. I hope Um, the midterm results were quite good. So uh, hopefully those that uh, that did listen and get that extra review and prep uh, felt extra confident. So now that we're back with another new episode here, um, we're, you know, kind of getting back into things again uh, after the midterms. And the next unit that we have after World War II is the Cold War. All right, so the first couple days of this unit, um, really the first days of any unit, we try to make those connections to the previous one. You know, what events, what issues, what situations um, do we learn about previously in history that led to or caused uh, the events of this unit, right? We always want to get that historical context, right? We don't want to see historical events um, just isolated in a vacuum. We want to see how one thing can lead to the next, So, in the start of our Cold War unit, we we focused on Europe. So, the Cold War, obviously, is going to be a global conflict between democracies and and capitalists in the West versus uh, communism and socialism coming out of the East. By West, we're meaning Western Europe, the United States, Canada. The East, uh, we're talking about Russia or the Soviet Union at this point. Um, later on in the unit, we'll move to China and Asia for spots there. So the focus of uh, the Cold War, the first part that we are look at is we're going to focus on Europe. In subsequent weeks, uh, like I said, we'll move around the world to, to different hot spots there. To understand the Cold War in Europe, we need to understand uh, the end of World War II, right? the previous major conflict there. To introduce this, we looked at um, pictures. We looked at pictures of post-World War II Europe. And the pictures that we saw uh, were just photo after photo of devastation. Cities completely in ruin. The buildings bombed out and destroyed. People wandering around, um, homeless, jobless. Many have have lost loved ones, you know, husbands and fathers. Um, In the four years of fighting of World War II, Six years of fighting, really, in Europe for World War II. So we looked at how that situation in post-World War II Europe and what that impact is going to be, right? How the World War II ends. And to understand that, we used a map as well to see how World War II um, shook out, how it ended. And we see a sea of red coming from the east, right? The Soviet Union fighting the Nazis on uh, the Germans' eastern front, and moving through and moving halfway through Germany. And then we see this blue wave coming from the west. Obviously, that's the Allies. The United States, Great Britain, France, fighting Germany on their western front and taking the western half of Germany. And that's how the war is going to conclude in April of 1945. And the two sides are pretty much going to be in a stalemate right there. Uh, They're going to agree to divide Germany in half, Uh, We're going to have two separate countries established, West Germany, going to be controlled in part by the United States, Great Britain, and France, East Germany, going to be controlled by the Communist Soviet Union. The concern of those in the West is the people living in those destroyed cities, the individuals that are living in desperation. We've seen this issue many, many times in history before. Where people that are struggling, people that are desperate, uh, people that are living, living in unstable uh, economies and unstable government situations can fall prey uh, to unscrupulous leaders, um, can fall prey uh, to violence in their cities and in their countries. Uh, we saw this after the French Revolution and the rise of someone like Robespierre and then Napoleon. We saw this in Germany after World War I with their economic struggles resulting in the, in the rise of Hitler. We saw this in Italy with Mussolini. Uh, Russia was with Lenin. So we've seen this a number of different times. And the United States and those countries in the West don't want to see this play out again where struggling peoples of Europe are going to fall um, to unscrupulous leaders, right? This power vacuum is going to lead to, to the rise of something negative. And in this case, in 1945, that negative that they're looking out for is communism. And we think about just the basics of communism and the type of people that communism um, sounds good for, right? The, the type of people that are more susceptible uh, to following those communist ideals, people that are at the bottom, people that are struggling, Right, a promise of equality, the promise of you know rising up to the middle, sounds pretty good, um, if you're at the bottom, right? If you're living in a city that's destroyed, if you have no home, have no job, um, you've lost relatives, your your future situation seems bleak. And so these Western countries understand that they understand the plight of these people, and they understand the potential for bad things to happen in their countries. So the goal, the main mission of these of these democratic countries is to contain the spread of communism, to make sure that those countries of Western Europe that are destroyed after World War II don't fall to communism. So containment is going to be a major term for this unit. All right, It's going to be a major policy for those Western countries. The need for containment, um, and the, the, one of the first calls for it, comes from Winston Churchill, the former Prime Minister of Great Britain. Uh, Winston Churchill in 1946 is invited by U.S. President Harry Truman uh, to give a speech in his home state of Missouri. Uh, The speech later becomes known as the Iron Curtain speech. In it, Churchill warns his American audience, right, audience is very important here, warns his American audience that an Iron Curtain has descended across Europe, that the Soviet Union has put up this this blockade, all right, has has isolated itself, cut off the eastern portion of Europe, all right in, in an attempt to completely influence them, all right, and then to spread communism from there. So he's warning his American audience of this. And he's bringing back some historical examples. Right, he's saying that we can't let them take any land, we can't give in to appeasement He uses that term in his speech, our term from a World War II unit Right, which is if you give in to an adversary, they're going to keep taking more and more Right, so he's warning not to let that happen again Like happened before World War II with Hitler He's warning not to isolate the Soviet Union from the world Something again that happened to Germany before World War II And he's telling the United States that basically we are the only advanced country that's left, the only industrial country that's relatively untouched from World War II, and it's our responsibility. We're the ones that need to step up to make sure that communism doesn't spread. So a number of policies are going to go into place to reach that goal. First among them is the Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan, named after Secretary of State George Marshall, provides funds to Western European countries so they can rebuild, so they can help their people. Again, the point of preventing that spread of communism, we're not sending in tanks and we're not trying to, to fight and beat back the Soviets here. We're just trying to convince the people of these countries not to look to communism. All right, The mantra that we're going to have throughout this Cold War unit are the two sides are fighting for the hearts and minds of people around the world right they're trying to show them which idea democracy or communism capitalism or socialism is better so the united states with the marshall plan is going to help rebuild those western european countries to give people hope for the future help them get their jobs back help them get their homes rebuilt etc cetera, etc cetera. the next plan or policy put into place is the truman doctrine the truman doctrine is Pretty similar to the Marshall Plan. Um, it's different in a couple ways. It's different um, in which the region where this funding is going to. The Truman Doctrine is specifically for Turkey and Greece. And looking at a map of post World War II Europe, uh, Turkey and Greece are right on the border of the Soviet Union. All right, so when we have that, that term containment, we use the image of a water bottle, right, a container. And if that container were not there, the water would spread out, right? It wouldn't go flying across the room, right, and jump, you know, long distances. It would just spread to the nearest possible place, right? That would be the same thing with communism. If it's going to spread, it's going to spread to the nearest countries. So the Marshall Plan is going to help to block off and ward off communism in Western Europe, Truman Doctrine. Is going to help block off and contain communism and help it not to spread to Turkey and to Greece. Um, along with some funding, the Truman Doctrine provides for some military support as well. So, a little different from the Marshall Plan in that respect as well. Um, the next plan is going to be a military alliance called NATO. NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So, picturing a map, if you look at the North Atlantic, all right, countries and regions that are near there, so obviously the United States, and then over in Western Europe, so Great Britain, France, many other countries in Western Europe are gonna be part of NATO. And this is again is a military alliance. All right, when one country's in trouble, if one country gets invaded or overrun, the other countries are gonna jump in to help. The goal of NATO, it's not to you know start a World War III, um, it's more of um, a prevention tool. All right to let the Soviets know that if they do try to invade one of their neighboring countries, um, if they do try to to militarily uh, take over one of these countries and force communism, that all these other countries are going to jump in to help. So understanding containment, right, and the policy, the goal of these democratic countries, uh, was the first part of the unit, and putting it into context of post World War two Europe. From there, we went a little bit more specific. We focus specifically on Germany. Germany, as we said before, is divided into East and West. Right? East Germany is going to be communist all right, under the influence of the Soviet Union. West Germany is going to be democratic under the influence of the United States, Great Britain, and France. So that situation in and of itself is a little odd and different. Right, You have two separate countries now. And then an even stranger situation is within East Germany, so completely within the communist country of East Germany, lies the city of Berlin. Berlin, uh, capital of Germany, all right, the large population of Germans. And if this were to be completely in the Soviet zone, completely in the communist zone of influence, that would not spell good things for the West. So Berlin itself, the city itself, is going to be divided in half. So we have this small blue democratic dot, if you will, in the middle of the sea of communist red. In that situation, um, we spent a couple days looking at that and the intricacies of having you know, half a city, basically, of... Of one influence, of one political belief, of one economic belief, in a middle of a country, all right, that has completely opposite views of an adversary, if you will. So the first one we looked at with the division of Germany was a situation in 1948-1949, known as the Berlin (coughs) Blockade. So this again, half the city of Berlin. All right, It's democratic, supported by the United States, Great Britain, and France. It's going to be blockaded. It's going to be shut off, surrounded by the Soviets, all right, by communist forces, and not allowing any aid, food, um, any assistance to come into the city. All right? They're isolated. They're cut off. They're on their own. So the Allies, these Western countries, need to figure out what can be done. To help um, their allies, their friends in West Berlin, the solution is an airlift. Right, if you can't drive supplies in, you can't bring them in by train. Uh, they're going to be airlifted in and dropped onto the city of West Berlin. West Berlin is still looking at the photos, you know, from the Berlin airlift. West Berlin is still a mess. Three years after World War II, um, there's still destroyed buildings and rubble, and uh, the people are still still in a bad way, but. The Allies flying these airdrops, flying these missions over West Berlin, uh, dropping food and medicine and other supplies to them, um, has a few different positive results. Number one, uh, the people survive. They don't starve. And number two, it makes these Western democracies look really good. All right, it's, it's the communists, the Soviets, they're trying to starve them out. And it's these democratic Western countries, they're trying to help them. So going back to this theme of fighting over hearts and minds of people and trying to convince them of which idea is better, this is a really good uh, situation. makes these Western countries look really good in the eyes of the citizens of West Berlin. Now the next situation to look at, and it's one that we got to make sure we don't get confused over, there's some different situations that students tend to tend to mix up or interchange. Is the Berlin Wall? Now, the difference is, here's not to get screwed up on these things. All right, students get the Iron Curtain mixed up a little bit with it. So the Iron Curtain again is just a metaphor. All right, just uh, some imagery from Winston Churchill showing the divide of Europe. Right, so just picture the the maps that we drew of the red Eastern Europe and the blue. Western Europe. All right, that's the metaphorical division of the Iron Curtain. Then, looking at the Berlin Blockade and Berlin Airlift. All right, that takes place in 1948-1949. Um, we don't have you memorize a ton of dates, but just context-wise, it's important to keep that one where it is. Right, just a few years after World War II. The Berlin Wall. Now, all right, the Berlin Wall is going to separate east and west of Berlin, right? So it's just a wall that separates the one city. Um, And that goes up in 1961. All right, it goes up in the the evening hours, the night hours uh, between August 12th and August 13th, 1961. All right, so quite a number of years after the Berlin blockade and Berlin Airlift are over. So we can keep those separated uh, time-wise. So the Berlin Wall, Uh, we spent some time Looking at the Berlin Wall, the, the different changes, the evolution of the wall, going from a basic barbed wire barrier, like we said, that went up in a, in a few hours overnight, between August 12th and August 13th, and how it changed into a shorter concrete wall, and then the, and then the large double wall with the no man's land in the middle that folks saw for the, the rest of the Cold War. And looking at the wall, there are a couple things to, to learn and understand about it. First of all, just the, the shock of it. Right? Going to bed at night and having a city that was technically divided, right? ruled by different and influenced by, by different countries right? or different ideologies, but then waking up the next morning and having it physically divided. Right? If you live on one part of town and work in another, you're cut off. Right? If you have friends or family or relatives in one part of town, you live in another, you're cut off overnight without warning. So just the shock of that, the kind of human toll and the emotion of, of being separated, all right, and having your, your way of life change, right? If your school's in a different part of town or your church, um, you're going to be completely shut off from it. Next was, we looked at life on either side of the wall. So once the wall is up, there's no movement between east and west. Berlin, so people that live just a few hundred yards apart from each other, are living in completely different systems, uh, politically, socially, and economically. So we looked at life on either side. Um, to do this, we're lucky enough that it took place recent enough in history that we can hear from people that were there. right? Anytime we can hear from people that were there or see the actual thing, we're going to try to do that. Um, so we heard testimony. right? We heard oral history from people that lived in East Berlin. They described what life was like, dark and gray and kind of desolate and you know, no color on the buildings. It's difficult to find certain products. Um, they described... Um, you know, the basics of communism there's equal pay for equal work, mandatory uh, military service for young men. Um, and then on the Western side, you know, very capitalist, right? Uh, a way of life that we're familiar with. You know, advertising boards and, and, and color and different products for sale in the stores and, you know, private enterprise, just a different way of life. So um, that's a good case study and just the differences right there between capitalism and socialism. We looked at um, some graffiti on the wall, so how some people kind of um, reacted to it um, and how they uh, were able to you know, put their marking on it and show their displeasure uh, with the wall. So we did a little study on that, and that's where we left off with Germany. Right? We didn't get into the tearing down of the wall, and at the end of that, we'll take care of that when we get to the end of the Cold War. So the last day of the week, we, we shifted focus a little bit. We shifted focus south and east to the country of Hungary. Um, and we just introduced the Hungarian Revolution, uh, which we'll get more into um, in the coming days. Uh, but the importance of this one, um, just early on, is just really a symbol. You know, we see people fighting back against the Soviets, fighting back against this way of life, um, and the implications it's going to have in the future, right? This is kind of a test. Um, if these you know, revolutionaries can win... Um, It can send a message to other countries uh, that are under Soviet control that they can maybe fight for independence as well. If the revolution is put down, again, it sends a message to those countries not to try to rebel against the Soviets, right? And kind of shows who's in charge. So as we get further into Hungary, look at a couple other uh, places as well for next week. Uh, Next week, again, we're going to move to some different spots around the world, Latin America and Asia, uh, but still under the context of the Cold War and those overarching themes of containment, winning hearts and minds, difference between uh, democracy and communism, capitalism, socialism. Um, We'll see those play out a lot. Um, So that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Glad to be back behind the microphone for the Enduring Issues podcast, and uh, we hope you find this one useful. Have a great night, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this look back into the week that was in global history. The goal, as always, is to be enlightened. If not enlightened, at least entertained. For global updates throughout the week, follow Mr. P on Twitter at Mr. P underscore Braves. And remember, this isn't just his story or her story. It's your story, too.